listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, welcome to a new episode. Recording this just after The Last Dance, episodes five and six aired on ESPN. Lots to cover there. Don't forget as well, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, you name it, we are there. And of course, silverscreenandroll.com, where we've got you covered with all your Lakers needs. Joining me today, as usual, all the way from Texas, Anthony Irwin. Anthony, what is going on, my man? Oh, you know, just just in, enjoying the the taste of sports that we are are be uh, are able to be given on on Sundays uh, nowadays. It's been kind of nice to to get all the gang back together on Twitter and and relive some of these things. And for a lot of people, like my wife, never uh, she Jordan was way before she started really paying atten- attention to basketball. So all that she has gotten has been kind of mythology and. You know, was he was he some mix of Babe Ruth and Hercules and and all these other things? And and it's been nice to actually watch uh, Jen uh, experience this for the first time. Yeah. How, how was she reacting to it? Did she think that Jordan's coming off like an asshole, like most people who don't know anything about Michael Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I think I think she already, I mean, if you didn't know Michael Jordan was an asshole before you went into this thing, like you were living under the rock of all rocks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just, he had his, he had his hall of fame speech. Uh, he, there were, there were stories that weren't that hard to dig up where he punched multiple teammates in practice. Uh, he had, you know, he, we all knew about his gambling. Uh, we knew about his uh, societal beliefs uh, or lack thereof. Um, we, we, you know, you knew about most of this stuff, but you know, kind of getting to, uh, you know, see it up close in this way um, and actually get to experience it alongside so many other people like this. Usually, if, if I was going to, you know, kind of have a conversation with uh, with Jen uh, or somebody who hadn't really experienced Michael back in the day about Michael Jordan, it would be the kind of thing that you would have to, you know, kind of pitter patter your way through. Right. And and try to connect all these various stories. And in this case, not only is is everything kind of put packaged in this one kind of tidy thing that you know happens to paint Michael in a very positive light, um, you you you're also doing so while everybody else is doing it. So there's an impetus to trying to get out and and learn more about this guy or or, or get to experience this guy in the one way that you possibly can alongside everybody else. Yeah, and that, and I think that's the uh, that's kind of the. Um... That, that, that's the way it is because of me growing up. I mean, my, my sisters were huge sports fans as well. Um, so they, they, they're enjoying this. They're like, damn, I remember because we used to watch all the games all the time and, of Jordan's Bulls. So you're getting to see this, this perspective of him. But it, it's funny to see how he comes off. You know, like we never really got to know. We all felt like we knew Michael Jordan, but none of us really got to know him at that time. It's not like it is today where um, LeBron James is posting up videos of himself, you know, yelling out Taco Tuesday or dancing and, and working out. We, we had no clue what Jordan was like behind closed doors and his polished self in front of the camera. So seeing him and reacting, I mean, even that, that gambling thing, he's like, yeah, what's the big deal? I went with my family to get out of New York City. We went to go gamble for a couple hours and then we came. If this stuff happened now, you're going to be, you're gonna be uh, hearing about snapping pictures of him sitting inside the casino. So, you know, it, it would be it would, like the scrutiny he'd be under. Oh, I mean... I, one of my favorite kind of topics to talk to people who kind of watched sports back then nowadays is just ask them, hey, knowing the the spotlight that we have on athletes now, do we think Michael could have survived the Twitter era? 
And I, I think what it kind of comes down to is, is two things. The fact that Michael was able to continue winning while doing all that stuff really allows him to skate by as like, hey, it's just a hobby, right? But the second that that, you know, the gambling and the drinking and, and you know, just the, the lifestyle that he was living, um, the second that that affected not just his own abilities on a basketball court, but the Chicago Bulls winning, uh, that's when I think the questions would have risen. And yeah, I mean, we would probably look at it. I, I do think... I do think Michael would have been able, like there would be videos of, of Michael at a casino late night and stuff like that. And you'd get stuff like that on TV, TMZ all the time. But for the most part, Michael was such a nut physically that he was able to continue to compete at the highest level in the league, despite living these wild hours and, and, and taking in uh, godly amounts of alcohol while uh, gambling and doing all that stuff and smoking cigars. Like, Smoking a cigar in the car is a insane move. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you've ever smoked a cigar, but the amount of smoke that comes out of that thing is just insane. And and the windows were like barely cracked. Like well, that's that's just incredible. Um, and he, he was doing that on his way to a game. <laughs> it's, it's 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 crazy to me. Like watching all this kind of take place, and 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 here he was able to compete. At, at just an insane level, you know, with all that stuff still going on. Well, and I wanted to bring up, you know, the, the one thing from, they, they featured it a little bit um, on the last episode, or probably, uh, pardon me, episode four, I believe it was, we were talking about, you know, the, the friction between Isaiah and uh, Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan. And then you see that come out, you know, today they're talking about the dream team. When, when you heard Isaiah say that, and I found that interesting, he's like, I, I saw you put the video up a couple times on your on your Twitter account, but... <laughs> Um, you know, where he's like, I had the credentials and, and whatever. But I, this reminds me of something, too. And this is something that's not a political thing. It's not nothing like that. But people always want to sit there and say, well, this is a free country. You, you're, you're allowed to get a freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want. You can do what you want. No, but there's consequences to your actions. And when Isaiah Absolutely. Thomas decided to be an asshole and walk off the court and, and the way he carried himself during games, which is fine. Once the whistle starts and the, the ball is tipped and, and, and uh, the game's going on, fine. Say whatever you want on the court. But once that game's over treat each other, you know, nicely. And I think that was a mistake that Isaiah Thomas made. Because when you look at them, like, should he have been on the team if you're looking just by on-court accomplishments? Hell yeah, he's great. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to put you on a team with, with Magic Johnson and, and Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen where these guys have major issues with you and, and they're going to go try and win a gold medal. I mean, do, do you look back at that and think that they, the, the USA, like, basketball brass should have handled that differently? No. No, I mean, at the end of the day, remember, USA basketball's goal there was to get these guys on the team. Yeah. And they had all the keys. They had they had all the power here. They had all the leverage. It was basically them saying, if you're going to have us on this team, that guy can't be on it. And it's not like they needed Isaiah Thomas. They were beating teams by 50 points on the regular anyway. You yeah. know. Uh so it's it's not like he was missed all that much. Like would it make for more interesting basketball conversation fodder if Isaiah Thomas is on that team and Christian Leitner isn't, right? Or or if Shaq is on that team and Christian Leitner isn't, you know, does that make that team more interesting to be able to com be compared to the Redeems team, say? Like, yeah, obviously, sure. But if if Isaiah Thomas ruffled all the feathers that he ruffled and those guys said, hey, you aren't having us if he's involved uh, and, and with Michael being the loudest of those voices and being the most important of those voices. Yeah, they made the absolute right call just to get everybody to continue to be involved. I remember 
this came out, I believe, because there was that documentary about Isaiah Thomas. I think it was a 30 for 30. Uh, oh, Isaiah that, Thomas and Magic. No, no, no. About uh, his relationship with Magic Johnson. Um, and and uh, I remember 1992 happened basically a year removed from Magic Johnson's HIV um, announcement. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and in the year between there. Uh, there were some rumblings that Isaiah Thomas was behind the scenes questioning Magic Johnson's sexuality to the point where uh, Magic had to go or, or didn't have to, but went on Arsenio in a, in a clip that didn't age very well. Uh, but he Arsenio, Arsenio Hall asks Magic Johnson, hey, are you gay? And Magic says, no, I'm straight. And everybody applauds. And it's really kind of gross to watch like, like the, re the response to finding out yeah. somebody isn't gay. Like yeah. that's kind of gross to watch that. But but that was Isaiah. Like that was he played a role in that. And you know, uh, it, it's by those standards. Like Carl Malone was involved with the Dream Team, and he questioned whether or not it was safe to play with Magic Johnson. So we know that Magic had enough pool to be a voice in keeping Isaiah Thomas off the team, but maybe not necessarily enough to keep Carl Malone away from the team because Carl Malone said some shocking. I know yeah, that, that yeah. Carl Malone would say some <laughs> offensive yeah. stuff. Uh, would 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 show his <laughs> would show his ass in such a situation, but but uh, but yeah, I mean you had you had the fights between the, the Bad Boy Pistons and and Larry Bird Celtics, like they showed. Uh, you had obviously Isaiah um, disrespecting the game in uh, Jordan's opinion, and all these things come together. And like you said, I think you said it perfectly. If you can, you can. It's a free country. You're more than uh, you're you're allowed to go out there and say any number of offensive things, uh, bordering on you know actually uh, threatening situations. But I, I, if you get punched in the face as a result of saying all those offensive things, then at the end of the day, you kind of have yourself to blame, right? Yeah. And I think in this case, this was Isaiah Thomas very uh, publicly getting punched in the face by a few members of the greatest basketball team ever assembled. Yeah, and 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 you know what? You're right. He deserves it. He deserves it for for how he carried himself at that time. And 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 I think that's the thing. It's like driving, right? I mean, people look at it and say it's a basic right. It's not. It's a privilege. You know what I mean? Getting to play on the dream team. It's a privilege. And if you are, and like you said, I mean, it wasn't gonna make a damn difference if Isaiah Thomas played. They were, you know, they might have won by 54 instead of 50. You know what I mean? Like who knows? But um, you know, you you're not you're not you're not sheltered from 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 the stuff that you say and the stuff that you do. And, and it's going to have a ripple effect down the line. And I think that's, that's something that happened with um, Isaiah. I want to jump in one more thing before we take a break here, but what did you think about when you're watching Jordan, you're talking, you know, they're talking about that, uh, the 92, I believe, or, or is it 93, the, the, the Eastern conference finals against the Knicks and you're watching him play. And there's that one play where I think he gets fouled by Ewing and somebody else. And he kind of like pushes him down and he's yelling at them and swearing <laughs> at them. I could have missed seeing that in today's game. You know, I like the fact that the players are, are I mean, I enjoy the fact that they have more personality and they're kind of nicer to each other and, and all that kind of stuff. But when they're the actual game, I miss the competitiveness of the nineties and the, and the, and the early two thousands where people were getting in your face, they were smack talking. They were, it was just intense. What do you think when you watch like, the biggest difference between watching other than obviously, I mean the, the pace and stuff, we can, we can spend a whole podcast talking about how slow the game was and how defensive it was and the rules. But when you look at the competition level between then and now, what do you, what, what do you think of that? Like, do you think there's a huge difference with that? And do you miss seeing where, where he was talking about Clyde Drexler? And he's like, I, I was basically going to kill Clyde Drexler. And he did, right? 
there's a funny story. They I thought they were gonna really get into it with Dan Marley, and and they kind of touched on the the peripheries of the story. But the best moment actually from that story, they didn't get into it in the doc. Bill Simmons wrote about it in his in his book of basketball, and in that series, as the teams were walking off, you know, you have <laughs> usually you have the uh, the guys kind of coming together and say, "Hey, congratulations, good luck in the next round," or "Congratulations on the championship. We'll see you next year." Blah blah blah. Right. In this case, um, in this case, as they're walking off the court, remember, Michael made it a point to go at Dan Marley on both ends of the court, right? They, he said that, you know, he went at Marley because uh, Jerry Krause thought he was a really good defender, but also uh, he really went at Marley on the other end of the court, too, because at that time, Jordan was one of the two best perimeter defenders in, in the NBA, the other one being Scottie Pippen. And at the end of that series, as everybody's walking off and everybody's sharing their niceties, Michael sees Marley kind of making his way off the court. He says, yo, Dan, yo, Dan Marley. And Marley kind of turns and, and expects like, hey, you know, congratulations. This and that. He goes, no, bleep you, Marley, and walks <laughs> off. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, but it, I, I, I just had to share that story because they touched on it. And I, I thought they missed like the best part of the story. But anyway, to answer your actual question, Jen asked me the same thing. And she asked, like, why isn't there as much trash talk? And I think for one thing, Malice at the Palace played a huge role in washing a lot of this stuff out of the game, right? You see guys nowadays, remember, uh, oh, was it Avery Bradley? Remember Avery Bradley picked up a double technical or a technical foul for taunting Patrick Beverly after he took his cookies, scored a layup on the other end, and then just kind of like looked at Patrick yeah. Beverly? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily just a player's thing, although the players play a role in this, too. They came up, they come up in, in AAU together. They're a lot closer. You have social media. You have guys hanging out in off seasons the way that they didn't necessarily back in the 80s yeah. uh, and, and early 90s. So I think that plays a role, too. But the league really made a concerted effort to get a lot of that stuff out of the out of the game. And, and to, yeah, I, I do miss it. I, I I do like that fire. Give me that stuff. And and it's funny because, you know, NASCAR racers are told to police themselves and they show clips of drivers fighting and hitting each other with their helmets after after races. Hockey, you get into a fight, you have a five minute penalty, you know, and and uh, baseball, you have bench clearing brawls. Right. And you have, you know, a bit of an undertone of what's going on there. What what type of uh, look somebody plays those sports has. And then in basketball. If you like look at the guy the wrong way, you're given a T and, and God forbid you make contact or God forbid if you you step onto the court and, and inch onto the court while such a confrontation is going on, you get suspended for a game for merely stepping onto the court. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it's too bad that they've washed it out of a sport where where uh, it, it really benefits from that kind of fire. I, I actually really enjoy Giannis because he's kind of brought some of that back. The way he plays against Ben Simmons, he really goes out of his way to embarrass him, and I thoroughly enjoy it every time I watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I love I love seeing that that kind of stuff. And it's funny. I mean, I grew up, um, you know, I graduated high school in in 2001. I ended up playing three years of of college basketball. And I look at even the 90s and stuff, and how we would dress and how we like, you know, it's, it's, people make fun of Jordan's clothes all the time, and and rightfully so, because <laughs> you know, I mean, I used to have those pants that would make me look like a clown too with my jeans Same. and all that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, like, I mean, the way we used to play, the way we used to talk, I just think it ends up coaching 
school basketball for a few years before I moved to before I moved to LA. And I, I found that I mean I coached the same kids for, for three seasons for grade eight, nine, and ten. And I found that when we got to grade ten and you started getting to know their personalities more, you know what I mean? They're not just 12, 13 years old anymore. They're they're 15, 16. And the way they are and how they carry themselves. And I'm not saying this and that it's a bad thing. I just think people are a lot nicer now. Whereas it was kind of cool to be an asshole and be bad back in the nineties. Whereas nowadays it's like you're encouraged to be kind and take care of people, put people down. So you know, even the uh, uh, the comments that I'm straight and people were clapping as if that makes him bad for being gay. And, you know, it's like a, he was saved from it. It's like, no, uh, come a lot further as a society in the last 20 years. And I think we're kind of seeing that uh, reflected in, in how the NBA and a lot of other major sports leagues are, too. Uh, I want to jump into something else. I mean, episode five was was basically dedicated to Kobe. Uh, let's jump into that after the short break. All right, and we are back uh, talking about episodes five and six of ESPN's documentary, The Last Dance. Uh, Anthony, you saw the Kobe come up, and, you know, he was mentioning it. The, the first time I saw him on the screen, I felt kind of weird. I mean, that was the first thing I felt. I was like, damn, like, there's Kobe. You know what I mean? We haven't seen him like yeah. that properly and, and kind of, you know, in that raw type of way where he's just talking like that. Uh, what, 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 what came to your mind when you, when you were listening to what he was saying and how he mentioned that? He's like, you know, I, I don't remember the direct quote now, but he was like, you know, people are saying that I could beat Michael one on one. He's like, but everything basically I got is from is from him. You know what I mean? The five championships and everything is a result of of what I learned off of MJ. So, what did you think when you when you saw that? Um, I, I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. I do. I, I you touched on something I found interesting at the end of last segment. If you don't mind, we go back real yeah, quick. Yeah, of course. Um, you talked about how like we found Michael super cool, right? And and that abrasive approach to sports was what we considered cool and what you had to do to win. And I think what's been interesting to watch over the, you know, decades since then has been, you know, the, the type of player that is successful in the NBA. Uh, LeBron James is seen as this really, really good leader uh, because he tries, he, he shows more empathy towards his teammates than, say, like Kobe did, right? Steph Curry is seen as, and, and you look at the guys who have had success, you know, in the last few years, Steph Curry comes to mind, too, as somebody who just says, like, who literally his talent, one of his most important talents in basketball is to step aside and create gravity, right? Yeah. And not be and, and not go out of his way to dominate the ball, dominate the action. He just by existing and by by understanding the impact he has on everybody else around him, uh, he you know, he he makes a positive impact on the game. And I think, you know, you look back at why we thought it took you know, being an asshole to be successful in sports. Well, that's because all the all the people who were successful in sports were assholes. And I think now you have this kind of situation where the people who are successful in sports aren't assholes so much. So you have a lot of people questioning, well, wait, which is the right way to go about this? And I, I don't think there is a right answer. I think if you're able to be successful as a leader and, and be an asshole, then and that's what the situation calls for, then then that's what you have to be in that spot. And in other times, if, if uh, you know, like somebody like uh, Kevin Durant, I don't think if Steph Curry was to be an asshole towards Kevin Durant, uh, he, they even make it to the second year of their relationship out there in Golden State. So uh, yeah. it was just something that I, I found interesting that you that you mentioned in passing. Yeah, no, and I, I think you're 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 right with that too, man. I mean, even even the way it's it's kind of handled, and so and then you're watching, you're you're looking back at this at this stuff, and because Kobe, I, Kobe to me was the last guy, and Tim Duncan, sneaky competitive, you know what I mean? Didn't didn't look like he was talking, <laughs> didn't look, but sneaky. He wanted to be the best, and and I yeah. think Kobe had that. I think Kevin Garnett had that edge, and I think that was kind of the transition was that that Boston team, um, the big three when they had uh, Pierce Garnett and Ray Allen, and then they kind of transitioned out, and then you know they lost to the Lakers in 2010, and then you had LeBron, the Heat. 
uh, with Dwayne Wade and, and Chris Bosh. And then once that, that run kind of ended, I think that was really the end of that type of attitude in the NBA. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah. I'm not saying that LeBron doesn't want to be the best. LeBron absolutely wants to be the best. And LeBron um, prides himself in it. You can see that. But it just, like you mentioned, how it's handled and how it's carried, I just think it's, it's vastly different now than, than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely completely agree. Um, now, to get back to the Kobe thing, there were two moments that really kind of, I felt my, my breath in the back of my throat, you know. Uh, the first one was like you're saying where he first appears on the TV and you're like, oh, shit, that's Kobe. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and he had that like really weird moment. But then there was also the moment where he um, where he said that he looked at Michael like an older brother. Mm-hmm. And that was what uh, Michael said at Kobe's memorial. Right. That yeah. he saw Kobe as this younger brother who was stealing his shit. And uh, he saw him as this nuisance until one day he wasn't. Right. And he and, and, and he kind of looked at it more as like a peer the way that you do with I'm 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 uh, twice an older brother. I have uh, a younger brother who is God, how old am I? I think he's getting ready to turn 28 or so, 26 or 27. I'm a great older brother, as you can tell. And then <laughs> I have another one who's turning 21 um, uh, this month. And uh, in in both of those cases, as they've kind of come into adulthood, you saw them as nuisances and 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 they were the worst. They were tattletales as they were kids and they always wanted your stuff. And then one day they, they come into adulthood and and, you know, I moved out here to Texas and I find myself missing them. And if I would <laughs> if I would have told myself uh, if I would have told, you know, 13 year old me or 15 year old me that I would one day miss these little jackasses, I would have I would have laughed in my face. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so, yeah, those are the two moments that with with Kobe, uh, actually, when he when they talked about, you know, the, the brotherhood that they shared, I actually got almost a little emotional because it was just it, it brought immediately back to, you know, all that stuff that we kind of put in the back. Our, we've uh, since compartmentalized. It brought it right back to the forefront and slapped you over the side of the head with it uh, because it was literally the exact verbiage that Michael used at, at the memorial. Yeah, that's right. And I I remember that too because I was watching the uh, the memorial. I was on the uh, metro. I was on the train. I had to go out to, to do an interview in uh, in Santa Monica. So I'm on the train and I was watching the uh, memorial. And MJ came up and I, I remember him saying that you know distinctly where he was just like um, you know talking about the fact that basically at the end where he's like uh, rest in peace, little brother. You know, and he and he and he said that he's like I will live with memories of of knowing that I had a little brother and I tried to help him in in every way I could. And and then you saw that that. And it was because, like you're mentioning, it was funny because I think we looked at it like um, maybe it's a rivalry. And we didn't like, you know what I mean? We didn't. I mean, we know we saw what we saw in terms of when and mind you, again, this is back in, in you know, the late 90s and early 2000s when, when MJ came back with the Wizards. You saw that they were friendly and cordial and, and, and had fun on the court. But I think, you know, growing up at that time, we'd look at it and say, oh, man, these guys are, you know, they're probably who knows if they talk and whatever. And then you get to hear that Kobe Bryant's calling them all the time and Kobe. And then to hear that kind of. Um, that kind of bond that they had is special. I mean, and that shows you, because I, I, I do think that, and I used to think that too. I'm like, Kobe moves and, and he copied a lot of stuff off Mike, right? You know what I mean? Not to say he didn't have his own game, but he, he what he brought and what he learned, so much of it was from Michael Jordan. And I think some people used to hate on Kobe, be like, oh, all he does is copy him and all he does is blah, blah, blah. But that's like, you don't know how much they were talking behind the scenes. You don't know how close they were and what type of relationship they had. So I, I think that was that was interesting too. I just wish that Kobe was like, two or three years older and then we got to see him play once in the final you know what i mean like a yeah. lakers Bulls final 1998 would have been awesome 
I don't know if we get that same kind of brotherly relationship, though, if Kobe is is older and Michael really sees him as a threat because we saw how Mike treated his threats. Right. Yeah, yeah. We saw like I just told the Dan Marley story. He was pissed that Clyde Drexler called himself the second best player in the league. Think about that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say yeah. anything. He, like he, he said he's saying he's implying, hey, Jordan is the best. I consider myself the second best, and I'm looking forward to competing against this guy. That Jordan took that as a slight. So how do you think he's gonna take some some uh, <laughs> crazy, immature, abrasive, obnoxious 18 year old coming in and and emulating everything it was that Co- that Jordan did? It wasn't even like it wasn't just the game either. Like you talk to the people who covered the sport back then, they'll tell you that the even the 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 uh, voice inflections and type of answers that Kobe would give, he was trying to be like Michael. And yeah. uh, you know, I think it, I think it would have been really cool to see them compete closer to each other's primes. But you know, the fact that not getting that means that we had also this really cool relationship that you know we mostly have to envision. But the fact that we can envision such a thing, I, I think it's a pretty cool set. You know. Uh, second place kind of trophy that we could have gotten there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I still, uh, yeah. MJ would have treated him, treated him like like crap, probably. But I mean, for me, just as and for us as basketball fans, I would have been like that. Just would have been oh, awesome. Because yeah. and I think that was. I don't want to say this in a bad way because I don't mean it like that. But the, like the Utah Jazz from from ninety seven, ninety eight, even the, all the way through the mid nineties, they were a very very good basketball team. But they just like even with Stockton and Malone, I feel like I wanted to see Jordan at least play one of the big name franchises from the you know like playing the Lakers in '91, and then um, you know the Suns with Charles Barkley in '93. Because Portland, as much as they had Clyde Drexler and, and Terry Porter and Cliff Robinson and those guys, they weren't a huge big big time team. And I mean the Sonics team that was around then that that was another matchup. But I I kind of wish that we could have saw like MJ versus like Shaq and Kobe or MJ versus. Um, you know, another big name West Western Conference team that it would have had a lot more hype to it. And that, that's the thing with the the Bulls and the Knicks. Like those '90s matchups were awesome, and it was because you had these two. You know, the Bulls not anymore, and they haven't been. You know, other than maybe the Derrick Rose stint there, they're not a huge big name team anymore. You know what I mean? But the teams like the Knicks, the Celtics, and Lakers. Um, I love when the NBA is doing that. So that's one thing I do regret is the fact that nobody could have beat those damn Utah teams because it would have been fun to see like. Um, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, you know, even like, uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think back, like the Lakers, even the Spurs with like Tim Duncan and and yeah. and, uh, and and David Robinson were, I mean, that's not a huge team, but at the time it just would have been a different matchup because, you know, Duncan and, and Robinson would have controlled the inside and, and Jordan would have, would have controlled the outside and, and whoever was going to come out on top was going to win. Whereas I felt like we never really got to see that, uh, especially the 97, 98 series as close as they were and as, as Let's be honest, the basketball was terrible. Some of the games are, what, 80 to 70 and 88 to 75 and stuff like that. But I, I just wish we got to see at least one. Just like I, I wish we got to see a Kobe versus LeBron series. Yeah, well, yeah, that for sure. Um, I, I'll never forgive the the steroided up uh, Orlando Magic team that cost us the the Kobe-LeBron finals that one year. In, in, in what was it, 09 or whatever it was. Yeah, 09. Uh, yeah. But uh but the um the interesting thing about that era is like was so far ahead of his time that you know it was a combination of michael was so far ahead of everybody and then also went out of his way like he didn't do any league building at that time 
Like he was the lead, and anybody who came in and and challenged him in in, in that platform, he saw them as as an immediate threat that needed to be taken down as embarrassingly and as publicly as humanly possible. You know, we saw it with you know we talked about Clyde Drexler, Dan Marley, even Carl Malone. He wins uh, the MVP that year. The 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 play that led directly to Michael's most famous shot or maybe second most famous shot, depending on who you talk to. That was Michael stripping the ball from Carl Malone in a big playoff moment, big finals moment. Right. Yeah. And, and, and now we kind of look at Carl Malone as like this really good player who never won a championship. Uh, Michael had a lot to do with that. I, I, I wish, I wish somebody in that sport would have been closer to a contemporary to Jordan for another reason here too, I really think he got bored with basketball. Um, I don't think he, he saw his his competitive juices were flowing with basketball, and I think that had a lot to do with the lack of a contemporary, the lack of an immediate rival. Rival. He yeah. never had a bird to his magic. He never had a Duncan to his Kobe, uh, or, or or a Durant to his LeBron, or or you know a Warriors to his LeBron. It was like Jordan. In all of the finals that he won, the Bulls were the heavy betting favorite, and mm-hmm. uh, and and it would have been nice to see Jordan as an underdog in one of those series, but it was just never going to happen because I don't think the league was quite ready for that. He was so far ahead of his time that the league wasn't ready for it, and if the league ever showed like it might one day be ready for it, co- dude, he did it to a teammate. He was so concerned about Tony Kukoc being framed as the future of the Chicago Bulls that in an Olympic setting, he and Scottie Pippen went out and completely mauled the guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the Olympics and, are all and, sportsmanship too, right? <laughs> Not there. Right, right. World building, and let's go out there and let's meet our let's meet our our fellow world dwellers. Nope, no, no, fuck that guy. We're gonna I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna take this guy down uh, for for the for for the crime of merely impressing Jerry Krause. Like, that was yeah. Tony Kukoc's grand crime. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's kind of too bad, but I also think it was a product of not just MJ's greatness, but also his approach to letting everybody else know about his greatness. Yeah, and he was he was, he was was awesome at that. And and I think that, you know, for me, um, when I say this, I always say Michael Jordan's the, the greatest athlete of my generation, absolutely. Um, it was because of, of, of that, of how you, how you were, how you were talking about him. And it's like, you know, he's taking, uh, as much as it's a, we look back at it and laugh night, I feel bad for Tony Kukoc because seeing the way he just got smothered right in that game against Croatia, but, um, looking at how he, how he carried himself and, and he was just the ultimate competitor. And like they were showing, you know, playing games with the security staff and playing cards. And, you know, I think Will Purdue mentioned playing for a dollar a hand in blackjack. And he's like, no, I want to put your money in my pocket. I, I think that's what I loved about um, Michael Jordan. We'll wrap up on this, Anthony. I wanted to ask you this because I do have I have one criticism of the documentary. Is there anything you don't like about it so far or you wish they did a little bit differently? Well, I wish we would stop calling it a documentary. Uh, what do you think uh, it is? What, what, what would you go with? It's a commercial, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's, like what, what would you call it if somebody paid you, or, or not paid you, but uh, somebody gave you a bunch of film called that you know consider themselves the final say on on this film that they own by the way and and uh you know heavily steered the direction that that this film was going to go in right yeah. it wouldn't be a documentary cuz a documentary like journalism by by its very nature is antagonistic right yeah. it 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 doesn't have to be as antagonistic as some treat it 
it has to be more antagonistic as as some others treat it, right? Like it's no it's no coincidence that Ahmad Rashad is in almost every single Michael Jordan uh, clip. And it's because Michael felt comfortable enough with the softball questions that Ahmad would ask him that he would just, that he wanted to keep that guy around him. He understood, hey, if I want to steer my own story without actually uh, dominating the film and the questions and the journal, well, not the journal, but the, the film and the questions surrounding me, the best way to do that without appearing to do it is to befriend the people who are in charge of telling the story of that day. And and we've seen that, like Michael did that with Ahmad Rashad, LeBron did that with Brian Windhorst, right? We yeah. have, uh, you, you, it's, it's, it's kind of gone on through the years, right? Where, where uh, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, decide how your story is told, well, the best way to do so without actually, you know, tangibly doing so is to heavily influ- influence the people who are telling that story. So, like in this case, I-, I-, I wish we did go a little bit deeper into the uh, Republicans buy shoes to thing. I wish we did get into like he said that he didn't have a gambling problem, but a competition problem. <laughs> yeah, that's like <laughs> my <laughs> dude. That <laughs> I, I don't have a drinking problem. It's a swallowing problem. You technically kind of sort of have a problem here. And, and, you know, the fact that there wasn't any pushback on that, there wasn't any other angles other than, hey, Michael had this one thing and, and uh, he had this one situation. He was in Atlantic City when he probably shouldn't have been. Uh, but he got back in time, and then the Bulls won the next game. And they painted it as if Michael dominated that game. He shot three of eighteen in that in that next game. Um, but but you know we're not going to get that angle of it, given the context under which this is being told. What's your what's your criticism of it? I don't like the jumping back and forth. I almost <laughs> like if they did it if they did it yeah. chronologically. You know what I mean? Like okay, yeah. walk us through the the big of him getting drafted in the early years, and that you spend your couple of episodes. I mean, filmmaker. You know what I mean? So I don't know, but. Um, you know, I wouldn't have spent the first, I would have spent the first two episodes setting it up and then kind of move through the seasons where you're kind of learning about him and, and, and doing it. Cause right now I don't like the jumping back and forth. I, I felt like the 90 season that should have been like showcased on its own. Cause they have so much footage from it. Maybe spending the last couple of, a couple of, uh, episodes on, okay, this was the 98 season of the, the last episode you, they want to space it time-wise and then get to after it broke up and that was it. You know what I mean? But I, I just don't like it's going like 91 to 98 to 86 to 80. And it's like, okay, you're kind of, you're throwing me off here. And I just like watching it where it's like, okay, you're just giving me a straight angle onto what's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think it's going to be the kind of thing that if you watch it again, it'll age better on the second viewing in this respect. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they take for granted the number of people uh, who are watching this, they they think everybody who were watching this just experienced and understood what it was they were seeing when Michael played. Yeah. And that isn't the case. You know, there's there's a lot of people right now who are watching this who are our age, right? And and then, you know, they're and 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 look, you and I are kind of unique in how much we cared about sports growing up, right? To the point where we do whatever it is that we do to continue in this hellhole of an industry. Yeah. Um, but you know, people who weren't like us, who didn't 
uh, take in as much sports as as we did growing up, they're kind of lost too. Like my, you know, Jen, you know, Jen will kind of say, like, this isn't the kind of thing that you should feel the need to pick up your phone at any point uh, while you're watching it. And I think yeah. that's a real the, the fact that I looked over multiple times and I and and I saw that Jen was on her phone and on Facebook um, as often as she was. I think that's a bit of an indictment of the thing that you're talking about, because like there was a moment where she was on Facebook and then, you know, it was really, really good. And it was all this like this one stretch of the one subject. And she said, I don't know why I'm on Facebook right now. This is incredible. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. they jump around a bit. I look over and, and there she is back on Facebook. And and I think that's, you know, some of it is the consumer because we have uh, ADHD collectively um, in how we in how we take in everything. But but also, you know, knowing that you, you kind of have to play to the audience that you're given. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's what they they I mean, it's, I, it's great. And for us, I think don't get me wrong. I think it's getting a little bit more hype than it would have if we were in normal circumstances right now with, you know, without the pandemic going on. I think. Um, people would be criticizing it a little bit more because I do find that the storytelling is really good. And it's just, I think for us, it's just cool to see all this behind the scenes stuff that we never got to see in the nineties. You know what I mean? Like this, it's unheard of to, to even think that you're um, <clears throat> going to get to see what Michael Jordan talks to his teammates, like on an airplane where it's normal now, you know what I mean? Uh, back yeah. then we, we had no clue, but yeah, I just don't like the, the, the jumping around. It's a bit confusing to me because even my mom, um, not a sports fan at all, but she knew who Michael Jordan was because we'd make her watch the games with us. And, and she started watching it and she's like, well, I don't really understand what they're, when they're, why they're going like from 86 to 98, 86 to 97. So, okay, just tell us the story of that season so you can kind of go through with it and it keeps you entertained the whole way through. Whereas, cause I've had moments too, where I'm kind of like, oh, I'll check my phone, I'll go on Twitter and I might miss um, a couple of minutes and then I'll find myself, oh, I wanted to watch that. So I'll, you know, I'll go skip back 30 seconds to, to maybe miss that part. So it's keeping my attention and I'm enjoying it, but I don't think it's as great and well done as maybe other people think it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and I, I'm interested, once we get through all this, I or not this meaning COVID, but this meaning the documentary or the, the commercial, um, mm -hmm. I, I once once it's all done, once we've gone through all 10 chapters, I think I, I'd like to go back and watch it all in like a binge kind of setting, because I think it'll be it'll be better, I think, in in that kind of a setting, especially after seeing it the one time. But uh, but yeah, as as currently constituted and given the way that they're releasing it, I I, I understand the, the gripe and, and we'll probably share it. The one thing I do want, I want more of like the unpolished Magic Johnson. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you saw it, but there was the clip where he walks into it was like at the very beginning of the doc, uh, of the, the doc or whatever we're calling it uh, of of the episode, the, the Kobe episode. He walks into the Eastern Conference locker room and Michael says, hey, man, this is the Eastern Conference locker room. You you West guys have no place here. Yeah. And he goes, no, I'm 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 here to see the old mother. And he sees the cameras. Right. And 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 like the the interaction that he had there with Michael, I want more of that Magic Johnson on a regular basis. Like that guy is so much more interesting. Like that. That guy is incredible. I, I want I want I want. That Magic Johnson, that kind of personality mixed in with, you know, the Magic's uh, Twitter thing, which is literally him describing the the uh, events of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> where he's talking like, uh, hey, 
The Last Dance, great documentary. Loved watching old basketball. Like that's the kind of stuff that Magic Johnson tweets. But it's funny because I mean, we got the well, we saw the unfiltered Magic Johnson when he was doing his impromptu quitting press conference, right? <laughs> so right. that was that was pretty funny to see as well. Yeah, I, but even that was somewhat polished. I like the I like the Magic Johnson who's kind of interacting with his uh, with with the guys that he competed against, and yeah. you know, it, it just it's just just talking. The way that I think he feels more comfortable normally speaking, I, I really, I really kind of wonder if uh, the the kind of takes that Magic gives, the the completely vanilla um, analysis that Magic offers, I wonder how much of that has to do with just like the literal comfort that he has with that form of speaking, right? I would yeah. love to see. Hey Magic, tell me, tell me how you really felt about the 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 1980s Celtics. Like, let me know how you feel about Danny Age. That guy was the worst mother bleeper. This and I, give me that guy. Yeah. You know, we we knew that we could force Danny Age to the left because he's he he leans right on everything else. Like, give me that guy. I want <laughs> I want I want I want Magic Johnson in in that form. That was my that was one of my favorite things of of this Sunday night. Yeah, you know, I, I it's funny because, you know, we've, we've uh, kind of the whole episode, we've been talking about the difference in, in culture and the difference in, in kind of people and how they how they handle things and, and how they talk to each other. And you mentioned the, the polish, right? Like how, how Magic Johnson's, LeBron James is polished. You know what I mean? If, I, if I'm at a Lakers yeah. practice and I'm at a scrum, he doesn't take the bait on stupid questions. Mind you, I do find this, though, as well. Reporters nowadays are scared to ask athletes and celebrities. And I see it at the White House press briefings with with uh, with the president. People don't ask hard questions anymore. It's almost turned into a, okay, why, who, okay, that's it. Nobody's really like, if you ask LeBron, uh, let's say, you know, after uh, the Cavs lost in, in, in you know, 2017 or, or 2015 in the, in the finals to the Warriors, the way the, the questions could have been asked, it's like, they, they don't do any wrong. And I, and I feel like that's kind of indicative of the times that where people are scared to, to hurt feelings or they're scared they're going to lose access if they ask the wrong question. Whereas you saw, you saw Jordan, right? You saw Jordan do that. He's like, it basically took a week off. I think it was from, from talking to the media coming out of the, um, coming out of the, the gambling thing. And then the whole um, Atlantic city thing. And, and it's like back then it was considered a huge deal, but he did that because people were, were, were asking him hard questions and taking shots at him, which I think if anybody does in any position, doesn't matter if you're, uh, a regular person like us or, or, or a mega athlete, if they, if they do something wrong or they're not performing, you should be able to ask the questions, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's kind of the, the state of journalism as we see it now. It's, it's a legitimate societal problem is that for a lot of people, um, the, the loss of access is something that is not worth risking, you know, ruffling the feathers of the subject. Uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's a, it's really kind of too bad that that's where we're at, but that is that is where we're at. I mean, you know, Ahmad Rashad walked so that Brian Windhorst could waddle. You know, like that's that's where that's kind of where we're at in in terms of how you know Ahmad Rashad covered Michael. And and look, I I, I think like my thing is Ahmad has this incredible access, right? Yeah. And I think if Ahmad asked a question and really kind of pushed Michael on a question. It's not like Michael would turn around and say F off to Ahmad Rashad, somebody who he considers like a legitimate friend. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you have this access with this guy. Give me the real here. Like, give me give me how the you know, how things actually were. I, I would love to hear Michael actually really talk about how, hey, back in the early 90s or whatever, or the, the late 80s, when you guys expected me 
to talk about the Senate race or, or yeah, the Senate race in my home state of North Carolina, that if yeah. I would have spoken up, that would have cost me X amount of dollars. And and give me the, the, the reality of that situation, not this whole like I didn't feel uh, like I was educated on the situation. Dude, it, the. The, the situation there, the, the the conversation that was being held back then wasn't some difficult uh, political subject. This wasn't foreign policy. This was that guy was racist. And, and, and the guy he was running against was going to be the first black senator representing North Carolina in the history of that state. So yeah. if anybody you know, you grew up black in, in that in that in that state, you went through those those situations there. It, this isn't a matter of being uneducated. That's just you choosing not to speak on it. You know, yeah. you had to be educated. You 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 couldn't avoid it. You couldn't have avoided being uh, educated on that on that situation, given how you grew up there. Uh, and I think that's why a lot of people, you know, in in that setting, that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, especially people of color, because they were like, "Hey, the, here's this guy who could literally uh, affect change in ways that." Uh, most people who look like us couldn't dream of doing it. And he's passing on the opportunity because he wants to sell more shoes. And, and uh, you know, it, I, I, I myself am Mexican. So if a, if a Mexican guy passed on such an opportunity to help, you know, the, the situation as people who look like me are being put in cages on the border, if somebody passed on that uh, opportunity, I would be pretty pissed. Uh, if they had the opportunity to change that situation in the way that Michael could have changed that situation in North Carolina. Um, and, and you know, I would have loved to seen that as a conversation uh, in this in this piece, in this in this quote unquote documentary, like that would have made this a documentary if somebody pushed him back on 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 that response to, well, I didn't know enough about it at the time and I didn't feel comfortable talk comfortable talking about it. It's not like you've changed your tune since then. Like it's not, it's not like Michael uh, has be has has gone out of his way to educate himself since then. It's that he's indifferent to politics and he didn't want it to cost him money. And if that's his approach, then fine. But be honest about it and be ready for the blowback you're going to get for putting things that way. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that he and again, this is a different time now, right? I mean, I think that people of color yeah. are a little are a little bit more empowered now to 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 speak out and and to share their stories of of, of racism and and prejudice that we all face. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, um, and, and I find that with with LeBron, I mean, pardon me, with Michael at that time, I agree with you. He he was well aware and he knew exactly what was going on. Um, and yeah, it was to, done not to to ruin his his image, and he didn't want to piss off. The rich white people who were the ones buying Jordans for their kids at the time, right? Let's be real. I mean, Jordans weren't exactly uh, affordable, especially if you if you grew up in a in a lower income household in the '90s. You probably didn't have Jordans. You know what I mean? They were friggin' what two hundred dollars back then. I don't even know what they go for now. But um, you know, well, it, I, that, I also think, yeah, I also think the bigger impact there wasn't necessarily the people who were quote unquote buying shoes, but you look at the people who who held power in business back then. It was mostly older white guys who probably leaned right on on a lot of things. And he probably felt like if he would became uh, too outspoken on such issues, that those people wouldn't see him as as viable a candidate for the type of uh, commitment that Nike showed, you know, made in him back when he was playing or back when he was younger. I, I think that's a bigger like it. 
he said that he never said or he it was like an aside joke that he threw out there the whole republicans buy shoes thing but i i actually think it was a if he was to be really more specific there he would probably say you know republicans sign contracts like that that's i think that's where he would have been uh a little bit more honest about where he was at there and if he and if he would have if he would have said that now but mind you i mean i and i do know that because i was i was actually interested in that um you know, last year or a couple of years ago, we started having a lot of the uh, the protests about Black Lives Matter, and and you know he does he does dedicate and, and give a lot of money to, to charities and and to social justice issues. He, he absolutely does now. But I I agree. Back then, it would have been nice for him to say, you know what, maybe I should have I should have talked about it, knowing you know what I know now or understanding you know what what kind of impact it would have made. It would have been nice to, to to see him speak on that. But at the same time, Michael Jordan is still friggin' awesome. So we're gonna wrap up the yeah. podcast on, on that, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, I like. You know, criticisms aside, you know, your criticism of, of the timeline that they're working on here, my criticism of it not necessarily being a documentary, it is still hugely entertaining. It has yeah. been a lot of fun these these last few Sundays hopping on Twitter and being able to live tweet something a lot something sports alongside a whole bunch of other people who really love sports. Uh, it's given us something to talk about. So <laughs> I greatly appreciate uh, this this thing for that. And and, you know, even while we share our criticisms of the thing, that doesn't mean it hasn't been entertaining. It doesn't mean that it isn't a, a really well-made thing. It's just that, you know, it, there are ways that we find it that it could have been better. It's just like this year's Lakers. Like, I, I, I think this year's Lakers team is a really fun team. It's probably going to go down as one of my favorite Lakers teams of all time. But Rajon Rondo also exists. So I have to point out that, like, it really sucks that we have to watch Rajon Rondo ruin this yeah. thing, this Lakers team every you know second quarter or so yeah yeah and, and that's the best way to put it you know what it, things can be great but they can also have flaws as well so that's yeah. you know we're not, i don't think we're pointing out i think we're still both really enjoying like you mentioned um watching this stuff so uh, I, i'm glad we're i'm glad it's given us something to talk about at least on sundays it worked out perfectly because we record on sunday so thank you to espn for airing this a little bit early you guys saved, saved us with that one uh we're gonna do this again next week anthony thanks for hopping on i know it's getting late there man so get some sleep yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is always fun. All right, we'll talk again soon. That's Anthony Irwin. You can check him out on Twitter at Anthony F. Irwin. And don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Google Podcast, part of me, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Anywhere you get your podcast fixed, we are there. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs. That does it for this episode. We'll catch you all next week. <laughs>